At least no one had died. Beyond that, Nicholas Rokesby had not a clue why he'd been summoned home to Kent. If someone had died, he reasoned, his father would have said as much in the message he'd dispatched to Nicholas in Edinburgh. He'd sent it by swift rider, so it was obviously a matter of some urgency. But if someone had died, surely Lord Manston would have written more than, Please return to Crake with all possible haste. It is critical that your mother and I speak with you as soon as possible. My regrets for interrupting your studies. Your loving father, Manston. Nicholas glanced up at the familiar canopy of trees as he embarked upon the final leg of his journey. He'd already travelled from Edinburgh to London by mail coach, London to Maidstone by stagecoach, and was now completing the last fifteen miles on horseback. The rain had finally stopped, thank the good Lord, but his mount was kicking up a bloody ridiculous amount of mud, and between that and the pollen, Nicholas had a feeling that by the time he made it home to Crake, he'd look like he had in Patigo. Crake, less than a mile to go. Hot bath, warm meal, and then he'd find out just what had his father in such a lather. It had better be something serious. Not death, of course, but if he found out that he'd been called across two countries merely because one of his brothers was getting an award from the king, he was going to take someone's bloody arm off. He knew how to do it, too. All of the medical students were required to observe surgeries when the opportunity arose. It was not Nicholas's favourite part of the programme. He much preferred the more cerebral aspects of medicine, assessing symptoms and solving the ever-changing puzzles that led to a diagnosis. But in this day and age, it was important to know how to amputate a limb. It was often the doctor's only defence against infection. What could not be cured could be stopped in its tracks. Better to cure, though. No, better to prevent. Stop problems before they started. Nicholas gave a mental eye-roll as Crake finally came into view. He had a feeling that whatever problem had brought him down to Kent on this rainy spring day, it was well underway. Also, his brothers weren't getting awards from the king. They were stand-up gentlemen, all three of them, but really. He slowed his horse to a trot as they rounded the final corner of the drive. The trees slipped from his peripheral vision, and suddenly there was his home, stately and solid, all two and a half centuries of it rising from the earth like a limestone goddess. Nicholas had always marvelled at how such a large and ornate building could be so well hidden until the final moment of approach. He supposed there was something poetic about it, that he could continually be surprised by something that had always been a part of him. His mother's roses were in full bloom, red and pink and riotous, just the way they all liked them, and as Nicholas drew close, he felt their scent in the damp air, drifting lightly over his clothes and under his nose. He'd never been particularly fond of the smell of roses. He preferred his flowers less fussy, but when everything came together in moments like this, the roses and the mist, the damp of the earth, it was home. It didn't seem to matter that he hadn't meant to be here, at least not for another few weeks. This was home, and he was home, and it set him at peace.
even as his brain pricked with unease, wondering what manner of disaster had called him back. The staff must have been alerted to his impending arrival because a groom was waiting in the drive to see to his mount, and Wheelock had the door open before Nicholas even took the front step. Mr. Nicholas, the butler said, your father would like to see you immediately. Nicholas motioned to his mud-spattered attire. Surely he will want me to- He did say immediately, sir. Wheelock's chin dipped, almost imperceptibly, just enough to indicate the back of the house. He is with your mother in the gold and green.